Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello and welcome everyone to today's podcast episode of Voices of E-Learning. I am your host, as always, J.W. Marshall with MarketScale, and we have got a special episode for you today. Joining us on this show is the one and only Kevin Hogan, um, who is a a longtime education technology journalist, currently editor-at-large at at eSchool News, as well as a fellow podcast host on the MarketScale team and the host of EdTech Today. Kevin, how are you doing today? JW, doing uh, better and better each day. Uh, Thank you for asking and thank you for having me on. I feel the exact same way, and I know you're a half-glass-full kind of guy, so I'm excited for this conversation. Uh, Before we dive into uh, a couple of the topics we've got lined up, give our audience a little bit of background on yourself and uh, and what you're up to these days. Well, sure. As you said, I'm kind of an education technology journalist, but really uh, just spent my career writing about the intersection of business and technology. at the uh, expense of, of dating myself, uh, I started back in the in the early '90s, uh, writing and editing for a, a supplement to Forbes magazine called Forbes ASAP, where we uh, legitimately wrote articles uh, that had headlines like "Will email work?" and cor- We got the answer to that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and since then, I've just been kind of I've, since then I've just been kind of following just this uh, you know this amazing. Um, time in history where uh, technology and specifically the internet has obviously completely transformed uh, our all of our lives. So it's been really, um, it's really been a fun ride. Writing about technology since about 2003, I was executive editor at a magazine uh, called Scholastic Administrator, where, where we talked about how to implement those same email technologies that the Fortune 500 companies had done 10 years previous. Uh, into what uh, continues to be, to a certain degree, an antiquated uh, education system, right? The, the, uh, the model I always heard was that education follows about 10 years behind corporate business when it comes to implementing technologies. Now, as we talk later on in the, today, I think we can see that that might be accelerating pretty quickly. But um, again, it's been an interesting uh, ride to watch technologies overtake the way we teach and learn. Uh, starting with mobile devices and um, the the iPhone specifically in 2007, and then watching all these platforms uh, proliferate all over the place, uh, and also watch our digital natives start to get older and use this stuff in ways that we could never imagine. So that's a long way uh, around saying that I've just always enjoyed um, writing and talking about integrating technology into schools. And you just started podcast hosting yourself in uh, right around uh, when the pandemic hit last year. Um, tell us about your experience and the types of conversations uh, that you were having. I guess take us through kind of spring, summer, and fall of 2020. Yeah, well, uh, really, thanks to um, the folks at, at Market Scale and, and you specifically for getting me uh, hooked up to the whole podcasting phenomenon. I was really kind of an ink-stained wretch uh, and then going from print into just, you know, writing up onto the web and, and not doing too much in terms of uh, broadcasting and, and, and podcasting. So 
this time last year, I was the uh, content director for Tech and Learning. I had been there for about 12 years. Uh, our biggest you know, revenue driver were events, in-person events, where we would bring education leaders together. And um, you know, I'll remember it. I mean, it's just like many of the educators talk about Friday the 13th. <clears throat> it was very similar for, for us. We were about to host an event in Washington, D.C., before the uh, big Cozen event, and uh, obviously it didn't happen, and um, they still haven't happened. <laughs> <laughs> right. And with that, and with that, I wasn't happening. <laughs> so uh, you know, there was uh, a quick transition where I was desperate to look uh, to to find a way to keep talking about the story, writing about the story, being involved in education technology because it was obviously um, probably the most pivotal moment in in history when it comes to this stuff. So. Thanks to having the conversations that um, I got started with the the podcast, we started something. The first series was called Remote Possibilities, uh, where everyone in April was just trying to wrap their heads around what, except for a few cutting edge districts, was a theoretical concept of remote learning. Right? I mean, there had always been virtual high schools and, and remote setups for uh, particular niches uh, in the education space, but obviously nothing like the mass scale um, that we went to. I mean, this has been the largest beta test in the history of of the world, uh, of anything. Um, So since then, I've been able to have the opportunity to to reach out and speak to executives and other uh, leaders in the education space in how they're responding to the pandemic. Uh, And it's just you know, it's been uh, it's almost a little bit of group therapy for me <laughs> to see to see, um, you know, education technology stepping up and participating. Every everyone from the big boys, you know, from, you know, Google opening up their platform for free uh, to big uh, curriculum companies like Discovery, uh, just opening up their vaults to say anything you need, anything you want to get to. Uh, we will help you do it. Uh, the industry basically turned into one big customer service uh, company uh, where districts were reaching out, schools were reaching out. Even um, when you look at some of the uh, the, the telcos uh, finally kind of reducing their, their costs for bandwidth uh, to um, certain districts and schools and people who were in need, uh, um, there were a lot of really positive stories going on out there other than the obvious uh, negative ones that we have to, to grapple with, too. So it's been a wild ride. Uh, I'm kind of coming up to interview number 100. And then with these school news, I've been also uh, doing a podcast series with them, uh, talking to school district leaders uh, and how they had to pivot and have uh, picked up some amazing stories of uh, resilience on the part of both students and teachers and parents, uh, as well as administrators, uh, coming together to, to kind of um, ride through this 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 madness we're still enduring. And I have to say that uh, I've been one of the biggest fans of Remote Possibilities. Uh, the podcast is just uh, enlightening to me every week uh, last year. Uh, but I think it was uh, appropriate that we uh, put a, an ending chapter on that at the end of 2020. And now your your new show, EdTech Today, uh, launched off with a bang. You had uh, Sal Khan and AT&T on. Um, tell us a little bit about that show and what will be different on that versus, uh, you know, remote possibilities in 2020. And uh, just the shift in general 
in what where districts and uh, educators' heads are at now in 2021, a year later, as the pandemic is coming up on its one-year anniversary? Yeah, well, you know, uh, coming up to the end of this year, um, with not only the pandemic, but with the election and with the change of administration and the advent of uh, vaccines, where there seems to be some sort of dim, distant light at the at the end of the tunnel, um, and um, with those progressions, um, we all decided that you know we could expand the scope of conversation. I mean, it really was. 2020 was a year of, of triage uh, when it comes to just trying to keep as many kids connected uh, to their schools as possible. Um, what in my conversations with both school district officials as well as um, you know CEOs and, and leaders of the companies is you know now's the time to kind of take the lessons learned from this moment of crisis and apply them and try to make things uh, better and, and, and take advantage of the situation, which it, on the one hand maybe sounds a little awkward considering you know just the pain and trauma in, in a general sense, but in another sense, it's, it, it makes perfect sense. So we've expanded it to uh, EdTech Today. I don't think you can get any more general than that. <laughs> right. But, but what we're trying to do is just kind of keep tabs on this fast-moving, uh, accelerating uh, phenomenon that's happening because while we're still stuck in the pandemic, um, the effects of the use of these technology tools and the effects on students using them, while there are some negatives, there are also some amazing positives. I mean, there's um, you know a lot of cliches you can put in here. You know, we're, we're not go- the, the new normal, uh, and we're not going to go back to the way it was. But I really don't think we are. And so. It, in these conversations, I'm just trying to track the news. I'm trying to find the best analysis and draw the best insights out for for our listeners. And you brought up we're not going to go back to the way things were. I think that's been a real big focus on a lot of uh, my guests on this uh, show is uh, we can't go back to the way things were because pre-pandemic 2020 or even 2019, um, things weren't that great for a lot of our student populations, uh, specifically. Oh, the digital divide was even larger back then, and um, you know there were just uh, there was a need for a lot of change, and this pandemic has really accelerated a lot of that positive change. So our hope in these conversations is to to build a better future for this fall, for next year, um, and to really start building it now if you haven't already. So I'd love to get your take on. Um, how do we do that? Uh, and I know that's a big question, but you know, what have you been hearing and seeing? And uh, give us some hope, as you always do, for uh, the change that is happening now and is coming in the future. Yeah, I, I think one of the um, positives that can be pulled from this uh, are a lot of the stories that I heard from district officials uh, this time last year, again, Friday the 13th, it was right before spring break for most public school districts in the country. And they had to sit there and decide, are we for the first time just going to hand our kids the laptops that are in their carts and send them home for two weeks without even imagining that they would never even come back yet? Um, and then also those same district officials may have wrung their hands about, about the problems of digital uh, equity and access to the internet in a theoretical sense. Um, And they actually found themselves in their cars 
with Khajiits driving to kids' houses to give them Wi-Fi hotspots. So it went from something that was conceptual to that was something that was a reality. Uh, and then what happens is that people accept that reality and then they step up and they do the things that need to be done. Uh, and a lot of people have been doing that, both um, on the school side as well as, as, well as the industry side. Um, so that, I mean, that's, that's one kind of big general positive. Now, how do we apply these things? How do we keep this momentum? Um, that's a more difficult question, um, and it also remains to be seen. Um, although I do see some other, um, you know, bright spots uh, coming up with, uh, frankly, the, the new administration. And I think that some leadership at the federal level um, could mean um, some more coordination. Um, it could mean, obviously, more funding uh, to create what need to be public infrastructure investments, and that is a high-speed bandwidth internet service is, should be is the chicken in every pot for 2022 and every American student, every American family. Um, so, I mean, that's something that, that could be accomplished and hopefully will be accomplished. And the other thing is just that the understanding that these gaps exist uh, in a real sense um, and, and have them addressed. Now, it's going to need a lot of coordination. It's going to need a lot of understanding. But, um, you know, the more I talk to folks, the more I, I, I feel that there is at least a chance, right? Absolutely. And there's so much more I want to get into. I'm going to try to jump around a few different topics. But you mentioned uh, the administration and not specific as much to the administration. And I know you're not a policy expert, uh, but you do have your ear to the ground. Um, I think something that that I saw in 2020 was um, a lot of red tape getting cut to actually go into action and help students, whether that's getting bandwidth or devices or funding um, to the right places at the right times. And it seems like the uh, consensus now is that the this has been let out of the box that we don't have to wait four years or eight years for things to happen. Things can happen very quickly if we want them to. Have you seen uh, any indications that we'll continue to be able to to make policy changes, maybe not at the breakneck speed that had to be made in 2020, but in 2021, um, do you foresee that continuing to to move quickly, or do you do you think we'll go back to the slow and uh, uh, lingering, you know, lo- long time change kind of years kind of uh, you know process that we've gotten accustomed to? Yeah, well, one of, one of the endemic uh, issues that involved, if we're talking specifically about K-12 public education, is the fact that there are 15,000 different school districts. And each of those school districts have different school boards that have different personalities and have different uh, bank accounts, frankly. Um, and they also have different... Um, strategies in in how they see their their children being educated and you can you can start at New York City schools which there's one district that is larger than the majority of bo- most countries national school districts uh, down to some of the s- smallest districts in this country maybe maybe have a thousand kids um, and they have a school board that looks over them many of here in, in New Jersey um, so because of that um, that localized uh, emphasis, it's just 
it just takes longer. You talk about red tape. I mean, it's just it's the bureaucracies upon bureaucracies. I think when there are opportunities from the state level and from the federal level to get monies and opportunities, I think that's one way. And you know, you can use the phrase. I mean, to, to grease the wheels. I mean, the the e-rate um, the e-rate program is is something that has been hugely successful, uh, which and. That is what originally gave school districts access to the internet at all. I mean, it's difficult to remember that, you know, in 1996, you know, before Al Gore invented it, <laughs> there, there was no internet for, um, for schools. Uh, people didn't have emails. People didn't use the web. Uh, but because of that initiative, um, monies got to schools to get wired to get kids access and of course it took a while and to get it in but they did it and now we're at a place that it needs to be replaced and obviously upgraded and it also needs to be expanded when we're talking about the same access given to a student when they're sitting in a classroom in second grade uh, at their local elementary school they need to have that same access at home uh, or when they're on their way home right it's the always on always you know always on learning um so that's where we are. Now, maybe we can use a mechanism like E-Rate to where school districts apply for the monies, where telcos can apply to uh, bid on that sort of work and receive the monies that, that we can take it to the next level. All right. Now we're going to shift gears again to social emotional learning uh, and mental health in general for uh, our students um, has never been more critical in 2020 uh, with this pandemic and, and still today. Do you feel like th- that awareness um, is something that will continue momentum into 2021? I hope so. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, when you think back to last spring, I mean, that, that was pretty much the largest group trauma exercise <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, really has ever happened, right? I mean, that's not an exaggeration. I mean, the fact that we've all experienced this, this, the same thing. Um, and then you add it into, you know, with the children not being able to go to school. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the school district officials I talked to said they threw out assessment, they threw out curricula, they threw out, uh, you know, any of the, the trappings of what they used to do, what I call BP before the pandemic. And it was it had everything to do with like just getting kids connected, giving them a sense of being safe. And frankly, there were a lot of kids who weren't safe uh, in their home situations and reaching out and finding them and assisting them in in that situation Uh, was a a terrible thing. Um, At the same time, and I know we complain about Zoom fatigue and, and synchronous communications and staring at our screens. That was the only way to connect. And in a strange way, a lot of uh, folks in, in, in the education setup, parents especially, but also students and teachers, have found that using this technology, the Zoom technologies or your Google Meets or you know your, your Microsoft Teams, whatever it is, there's a strange intimacy there that once you get comfortable with it, actually helps out a lot. Um, you talk about telehealth. I mean, those were things that were in place, but they were very much niche products. Um, but I think you're going to see a lot of schools keep Zoom counseling on the table, uh, keep a lot of, 
I just had a, a conversation with uh, Terrence McGovern. He's the director of special education down in Kershaw County in uh, South Carolina. They're going to keep their telehealth setup that they implemented because of the pandemic going forward because they found that you're going to try to have an IEP meeting and you need to have seven people around a table. Um, and one of those IEP specialists needs to be in four different schools in, in a rural setup. It just won't happen unless it happens over the course of two weeks because of Zoom and because of using, you know, because of using these sort of setups, she can have, he or she can have those four meetings in a day. Um, and actually that sort of setup also helps when it comes uh, for that digital equity piece. There are school districts um who have one guidance counselor for over 100 students. I mean, how, how do you expect that one person to be able to have in-person true interactions with a student physically um, over the course of a week? You can't. By Zoom, you can cut it down. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's a perfect solution, but it, what it does is it helps bring that together. Uh, the other part of that, too, is that the dynamic uh, of going to the principal's office or going to the guidance counselor, this sort of setup kind of removes that a little bit. I mean, as, as a guy who found himself in the principal's office <laughs> more, than, more than once or twice, it was an intimidating thing, right? So if you're a student and you need to go have interactions with these adults, especially when you're talking about mental health or, you know, behavior issues, there's something about this that kind of equalizes it, but at the same time, People find themselves expressing themselves more without that in-person dynamic. So that's another interesting aspect, a lesson learned, I think, when it comes to social-emotional learning that will stick around. And also the flexibility for districts to uh, kind of staff up and down quickly based on needs without having to hire full-time uh, resources that may not be needed full-time, I think is another really interesting angle to um, being able to take care of the social emotional learning and the mental health of their students without being overwhelmed uh, at times you know is really going to be powerful moving forward that it's not an either or like so many of these things we're talking about it's it can be a both and there's someone there on the ground but there's also additional resources online um, some new research uh, that just came out from Rand uh, talked about how 20% of parents are looking for schools, whether they're public or otherwise, to have uh, fully online offerings, even moving into next year and future years. Um, where do you think we'll end up as far as full online offerings and continuing some hybrid models, even once the pandemic hopefully sooner than later, but maybe later, is finally kind of out of our system. Where do you think we'll land with keeping the best of the online learning uh, technology and strategies and, and really leveraging them in a way that complements uh, what would be happening on-site as well? I think the answer is it's going to be a buffet. Again, you have 15,000 districts with 15,000 different ways of, of doing things. But now there are um, a multitude, a variety of solutions, um, if you don't mind the, the sales vernacular, uh, for districts to do this. So I was speaking with the administrators of um, a school district in, in Indiana, uh, Muncie School District in Indiana yesterday, uh, and they have decided that they are going to continue on offering kind of a, a remote 
option. So a student can say, I'm going to be in person or I'm going to be remote. Now, the remote person can also come in and participate in extracurricular activities and sports and band and theater and things like that. But they're, they're going to have a separate faculty and a separate line of curriculum that uses those sort of tools for students. And from their surveys, they're going to have a significant percentage, maybe 10%, who are going to be remote all the time. Other districts uh, are probably going to continue to employ some sort of hybrid thing where you can, you know, you, you can come in half the week or, you know, depending on, on what's happening, um, you can have some in-person and you, you can then do stuff remotely as well. So there'll be lots of different flavors of remote learning. It won't be, you know, a kind of a one-size-fits-all. But I do believe that there isn't any place that will go back completely without having some sort of remote extension uh, that's available. Yeah, and at the same time, having a remote contingency plan, if something like this, God forbid, would ever happen again, um, I think it's it's something that every district is looking at now and, and moving forward as well. Um, earlier, you mentioned uh, parent involvement, and I think that's one of the most interesting um, outcomes of this pandemic is the role that parents were thrown into as educator or at least facilitator of their children's education. Talk to us a little bit about um, how that dynamic had changed and maybe some of the pros and cons going into 21 um, involving parents. Yeah, well, I think the change in dynamic is that parents were um, recognized for the first time, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, you know, from, from the industry side, I mean, I've been writing about education for 15 years. And after this had all begun, I started thinking back about the number of times that I actually asked a question or had a product demo or a service demo that even involved the participation of parents. I mean, they just haven't been included in the conversation until they became teaching assistants back in April. Uh, and a lot of the companies have shifted. So, you know, another phrase in the ed tech journalism space is professional development and what that means for, for teachers. Well, now you have parental development um, and parents are much more involved in the particulars of not only the technology, but how they're how their kids are being taught, which has been, um, has had a variety of responses, right? I mean, some people are like, what has been going on here? Uh, so I think a new attention to bring parents in the conversation, again, is, is nothing but a net positive here. I mean, and I'll speak for myself if, in, in school. Uh, I have never spoken to my kids' teachers as much as I have in this past nine months than I have in the past 15 years they've been in school. And again, that, that points back to, I mean, that's all happened via Zoom because it's a click of a button, then you can have a five-minute conversation. I mean, there's there's no longer that note home, with, which means a phone call or a drive into the office. So I think um, the role of parent is only can only be a net plus when it comes to the improvement of the way that we teach and learn. 
Absolutely. Um, and I think a newfound respect and appreciation for the educators on the parent side as well has been a silver lining out of this, that uh, they've woken up to some of the things they maybe don't like about what's happening, but they've also woken up to the fact that this is a really, really hard job. And right. uh, and, and that, uh, you know, is something that hopefully more support from parents for teachers is going to come out of this and be long lasting. Um, so speaking of teachers, uh, this is the same uh, RAND study uh, said that 69% uh, of teachers still don't feel equipped in teaching digitally and in the technologies that they're using. And in some ways, that's not surprising because uh, so much has been thrown at teachers in the last uh uh, year that it's overwhelming. Uh, but in some ways that's uh, concerning um, because we want these uh, educators to to be masters of uh, these new technologies, these new strategies. Um, give us some hope uh, on how do we continue to make progress in this area and how do we how do we get to a better place? Well, I, I would like to dig into those numbers a little bit deeper to see uh, when we talk about comfort. Um, because when you look at the way that teachers have responded um, to this crisis uh, and, and they're picking up the use of technology, because really, I mean, they had to whether they liked it or not, right? Right. <laughs> and a lot used to not like it at all. I mean, we would do surveys back you know, in the years, and we had a, we had a, a niche of teachers that we called thwatties, uh, which was, you know, this is the way I've always done it, and I don't need technology to help improve it. I've taught calculus for 20 years. You know, I could laminate my blackboard, and that's all you need to, to, to know how to do. Um, well, their laminated blackboards were of no use unless he, had a, a he or she had a, a, a camera, a webcam, that they could broadcast it out to their kids on, on their laptops this past April. So I think whether or not they feel comfortable with it, I think they adapted to it. I mean, I don't... Is there anyone really who can't um, at least get through a, a Zoom call without turning themselves into a cat? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> um, so I, I think they're there now. When it comes to maybe being comfortable with some of the even more the new the techniques, you know, touchpad or maybe artificial intelligence, I can get that. But I think that's on the responsibility of the industry, right, uh, to make these products and make these services intuitive. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that that lawyer turned himself into a cat isn't necessarily his fault. It's the fault of the technology not making sure he could keep himself in a, in a proper place. So uh, I think going forward, uh, we have to have that sort of conversation. And that's something in a previous podcast I had with Monica Burns, who's a great uh, ed tech influencer and voice for teachers. Uh, she put the call out to companies that like, look, you know, this stuff needs to be uh, a no-brainer, uh, and we don't even need to think about the technology for in order for for it to work. Yeah, if you have to have an eight-hour training for your product, there's probably something wrong, right? Absolutely. You probably, uh, especially if it's a teacher uh, product. So we've not heard much complaining from students that they can't pick up almost anything. Uh, but as we know, if it's difficult to use for teachers, administrators, uh, they're going to revert back to what they did before, um, which yep. is probably not as good or efficient. But it is if it's you know not working uh, with the new technology. So I think that's a great uh, word of caution uh, to the ed tech providers. Um, 
And also, I think in that number two, teachers are uh, typically so, you know, passionate and wanting to be the masters of their trade that uh, they may never feel 100% prepared because of the evolution of technology now. It's going to always be changing. There's always going to be more need for uh, more professional development. And I like to say it's not about uh, more professional development, just like it's not always about more funding dollars. It's about good professional development. It's about using the dollars in the best ways. Um, And so I think we're going to see even more kind of honing in on uh, really tight, really good professional development um, this year and, and in coming years. All right, we're going to take one more topic, even though we're running a little bit long here, but this is maybe one of the biggest topics that is being talked about right now, um, and that's learning loss. Um, There was always learning loss before, but this is a whole new level and scale. There have been reports early that uh, it was going to be really bad, and then reports that it's not as bad as we thought, but who's to say what that benchmark is? Um, And now there are reports saying, well, it looks like it might be worse than we thought. Uh, last when more reports come out at the end of this school year. So give us uh, kind of a a synopsis of where we're at currently uh, with um, the status of uh, learning loss. I think it's still confused. Um, You know, again, you you have um, numbers and more numbers and and more numbers and you you can crunch them in a way that makes you happy or it makes you distraught. The fact of the matter is that the learning has been obviously interrupted. Um, the other fact is there's nothing we can do about it. It has happened. It's it's past tense. Um, so the, I'm, you can see where I'm falling along in, in terms of this argument. Um, what we need to do is reestablish an environment where students are learning how to read and do math and be exposed to new things that they didn't know before and maybe have a slight... Uh, you know, assessment to make sure that they, they are progressing in a certain way. But I think there, there's a meme going out that reminding teachers that, you know, there isn't necessarily learning loss. It's like we're all surviving a pandemic. Um, so it's, it's, it's really pretty much of a, of a mindset um, when it comes to, and actually when you look at, we can't even get into this topic now, but standardized testing, and, uh, you know, the, those monthly tests that the Biden administration now, which is causing a kerfluffle, at least a kerfluffle, um, that they are recommending that students be tested at the end of the year. Um, is that the best way to educate children and to have this pressure of whatever learning loss means uh, and instead try to lift kids up and help them? And that goes back to the social emotional learning aspect. What comes first? Is it, is it just kind of supporting our students um, and then assessing them or assessing them first? So um, I fall on the, it's a pandemic, let's get through it and let's um, you know, start pushing people forward starting in the fall. I like that approach, and I, th- I also like the approach that we've talked about in uh, during the pandemic with short cycle assessments, right, as far as parents helping their students or doing them for their students, uh, and how that doesn't help either, right, because educators need to know where the students stand. They need to know right. so that they can help, and so um, this is a big topic of assessment that I think we're going to get together on uh, a market scale industry roundtable soon. Um, so if you're uh, interested in this topic, 
topic. There'll be more to come from a panel of experts on this. Um, it's a very complex issue, and uh, again, it's not an all or nothing. There should be no assessments, or we should overassess and create these high stakes tests that have not proven to be the best method either. Uh, there's got to be a middle ground. So, um, all right, last question because we always like to end on a high note, a half glass full, as you say. Um, <laughs> and I think you referenced this earlier that there, there is always opportunity out of crisis uh, and not to take advantage of the situation, but to innovate. Um, give us uh, an example of maybe one of the top innovations or uh, highlights that, that we can you know, really latch on to coming out of 2020 and going into 2021. I think um, the opportunity for students to have more of a voice in their own education. Uh, as, as things have been distributed, as students have sat at home and they've said, you know what, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm, I'm going to do it this way. Uh, maybe I'm going to hand in my homework uh, using TikTok or I'm going to create something that way. Uh, maybe I'm going to do... A, a video presentation of that paper that I was supposed to do and hand in, but I, I would like to do it in this way. Uh, uh, I think it's the, the, the student agency coming out of this, as well as the parent agency to, to be involved in education and having a self-awareness of a student's own path, I think is, is one of the greatest, uh, I'm hoping is one of the greatest outcomes uh, from all that. Uh, and that, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see upon. But uh, if nothing else, I just I would like to see a back to school as normal as possible this August. I love it. And uh, I'll quote uh, my our both our good friend, uh, Michael Belcher from uh, HP, the director of education and innovation. Um, we were on a recent episode and he said, we need to put the public back in public education and look at all stakeholders, students, parents, teachers, administrators community leaders, businesses, everybody needs to seat at the table. And this is a chance to level set and really bring everybody into the conversations um, that are so important. So, Kevin, thank you so much for uh, indulging me as I uh, tramped around a number of different topics uh, <laughs> to pick your brain and, and uh, you know, get some wisdom that uh, hopefully our audience has enjoyed uh, today. And um, we'll look forward to future episodes of your shows coming up. So thanks for joining us. Well, I enjoyed it immensely, JW. Thank you. And to my audience, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Check out past episodes on our website, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks again, and always, always keep learning.